MSW Media. Hi, this is Will Forte, and you're, for some reason, listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. You made your choice. Go! <laughs> no. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. But this is what we're drinking with and done. That's not really funny. I broke my glass. Hi, this is Dan, and this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Welcome to the show. Coming off a holiday weekend, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving, that you did some fun things, some frivolity, some family, not much fighting. Hopefully you stayed away from the politics I laid low during the Thanksgiving holiday weekend. I I did some reading. I just finished a book called Trouble Boys, The True Story of the Replacements by an author named Bob Meir. The Replacements were an epic band, one of the most brilliant, notoriously self-destructive rock and roll groups of all time. I loved them. And uh, Bob Meir spent a decade uh, researching and reporting Trouble Boys, and that work yielded something really compelling. Uh, I thought so much more than a conventional band bio. There were a lot of revelations about the band's early troubled years, their rise throughout the 80s American underground. They like to drink the replacements, and some of the darker truths behind their legendary drinking is uh, that's certainly addressed in the book. Um, how their addictions first came to define them and then almost destroyed the band. And, uh, but it is a classic. I think I, I loved it. It was, uh, I couldn't recommend it more highly for those of you looking for a Christmas gift for the rock and roll lover, especially the nineties alternative for eighties and nineties, uh, alternative, I guess, for want of a better word, get them trouble boys. Also over the holiday, uh, former Saturday Night Live cast member and last Man on Earth star Will Forte stopped by these very premises, the What We're Drinking Studios, and we had a chat, and that's going to come up in just a little bit. I'm going to play you some of that. Uh, as always, I'll tell you what we're drinking on What We're Drinking. I'm sipping right now on... Mm. A Clover Club. It's the cocktail I've decided to make for this particular episode of the show. Uh, the Clover Club, I'll give you a little background on it. It's a named after a private lawyers and writers club in my hometown of Philadelphia, where it was the drink of choice in the late 1800s among the people that hung out in clubs like that. Um, it predates Prohibition, obviously. It's probably Philly's best-known contribution to the cocktail canon. Uh, Mark Twain once visited the Clover Club and became a great admirer of the cocktail and its ameliorative powers. 
he, and this is a Mark Twain quote, he said, at first I thought these men, he's talking about the Clover Club members and guests, first I thought these men were fools. But after five hours of sitting here drinking, I've concluded, concluded that they are witty. Apparently I'm the only man here who feels his liquor. There's Mark Twain, that old rapier-like wit. So after Prohibition, the Clover Club got a reputation for being a bit of a sissy drink. There was lots of toxic masculinity back in those days. Uh, In their 1949 Handbook for Hosts, Esquire magazine tucked the Clover Club among the Pink Ladies and Alexanders in the Something for the Girls section. Yes, there was Something for the Girls section in the 1949 Handbook for Hosts. We've come a long way, I think. But like so many cocktails from that era that were written off the clover club made a comeback today it's so beloved that it even has a bar in brooklyn new york named after it it's owned by my old pal julie reiner so how do you make a clover club well you're gonna need a cocktail glass you're gonna need a shaker and a strainer the ingredients are pretty simple Uh, you go with two ounces of london dry gin in the drink that i made here today i used sipsmith uh, Sipsmith was the first copper pot distillery to operate in London in nearly two centuries when it opened in 2009. So it's a relatively new product. It's a, a delicious modern take on a classic London dry gin. So two ounces of that, half ounce of lemon juice, three or four dashes of raspberry syrup, and one egg white. And you're going to shake all those ingredients with ice. You strain it into a chilled glass, garnish with a twist of fresh raspberries. Uh, You may also, uh, you may garnish it with a mint leaf, but if you do that, then the clover club becomes a clover leaf. Okay? And it's a sweet, sourish drink. It's about, you know, on a scale of one to five, strength-wise, I'd put it at about a three. Not going to knock you on your ass, but it's got a little kick to it. Okay. So, let me enjoy a little bit more of that. Hmm. So... What else did I do over the holidays? Well, I um, I went on social media, as I want to do, and got in fights with people, <laughs> sort of. Um, I did, okay, so a, a guy, I have a lot of bartenders, bar industry uh, friends, or uh, my Facebook uh, uh, friends, and one of, a guy i known a long time, I respect, he posted an article that ran in the LA Times last week with the headline, Tiki Bars Are Built on Cultural Appropriation and Colonial Nostalgia. Where's the Reckoning? And the article was written by someone named John Birdsall. And this, again, this was in the LA Times. Uh, first off, what is cultural appropriation? Well, cultural appropriation is when a dominant group adopts the practices or styles from a marginalized group's culture and uses them outside of their original context and oftentimes in a demeaning manner. So when you hear that term, culture appropriate, that's what it is. Um, so the article, uh, obviously it, a lot of people chimed in about this. I'll give you some of the, uh, the broad strokes from the piece. Um, it gets into talking about, about, about Tiki and some of the history. And then he, he writes, well, the, while the racist tenor of artifacts from America's cultural past have come under scrutiny, team mascots, statues in public square, restaurants wrapped in colonial nostalgia, Tiki 
has avoided any serious reckoning over its imagery or the commandeering of objects and symbols from other cultures. It certainly hasn't included voices of Pacific Islanders whose gods have been rendered into cocktail mugs and medallions and ancient design motifs turned into kitschy fabric for moo-moos and cabana sets. Um, that is kind of the gist of it. And he, you know, he goes on to say the problem with the tiki is basically how to honor its real contributions to mixology while resisting the parts that dishonor indigenous people misuse their iconography iconography and exploit their sacred traditions in a woke world is their hope for tiki and so people you know got pretty passionate about it and i jumped in to the fray and i it's a very very tricky thing okay um appropriation is everywhere and it's also inevitable um, as long as people are interacting with other people, whether that's by choice or by force, cultures are going to intersect and they're going to graft onto each other. Um, so if it's, if it's everywhere and everyone appropriates all the time, you know, does it matter? And yes, of course it does. And I think the, the reason it matters is the, the one word is power. Okay. When the powerful appropriate from the oppressed you're starting to see society's imbalances exacerbated. And and obviously in America, uh, let's face it, white people like to hoard power here in America. And um, there's been a long history of problematic appropriation here. Uh, we could start with, you know, the lands and crops that we took from the native peoples here. Uh, you could talk about enslaved labor. It goes on and on. But here's the thing, not all cultural appropriation, not all forms of it are misappropriation. You know, culture is this fluid thing. It's always evolving. And source communities are going to arise and there's going to be new cultural products and it's just, it's constantly growing and it's like a, it's like a, a basket being weaved together, you know? And so, and lots of other traditions emerge from that, like jazz or hip hop and, and whatnot. So, when you're getting into the, and I don't want to wade too far into it. In fact, I'd love to hear from you guys uh, at the imbiber on Twitter or on Instagram. Shoot me a note. I'd love to get your, your two cents on this. But my, my concern with going back and trying to right all of these wrongs, uh, okay, or the idea that you have to be part of a culture in, in order to, to uh, create anything based on it. Again, it's very tricky and, and, if we start to go down that road, then you got to start, where does it lead? Do you start to go, oh, you know, a lot of these, the bartenders that were chiming in on Facebook, you know, they're all making drinks with bourbon. And uh, with all due respect to the Polynesian culture and what happened with, with Tiki, there's a really, really problematic history when it comes to bourbon and how the bourbon industry uh, was built in the United States. It was built on the backs of slaves. So we're going to do away with bourbon? What are we going to do? I don't have the answer. I don't. Um, but I do like thinking about these things. And, and I think it's, uh, you know, next time you're at a bar, kick up that conversation, especially if you're at a tiki bar. And uh, you can tell them I sent you. All right. So we've covered that. 
what else do we want to cover? Oh, you know, I want to tell you about, uh, you know, we've got people that love support us here on the show. And, and one of the brands I, I love, I want to tell you about is, is Savage and Cook. Uh, Savage and Cook is a, a distillery. Uh, they make whiskey. It's the creation of a man named Dave Finney. Now, you might know Dave Finney from his wine. He created a wine called The Prisoner. Okay, you guys remember that? Orrin Swift Cellars. So that was Dave, and he then went on to create Savage and Cook Distillery on Mare Island Naval Shipyard, which was the first U.S. Navy base established in the Pacific Ocean. It's up in Napa area, um, and he's just transforming this. He's got plans to turn this whole thing into just a giant wonderland of things. There's going to be eateries and cutting-edge commercial ventures and whatnot, but the, the thing I do, I do whiskey. And they do one called Second Glance American Whiskey, which is aged a minimum of five years in ex-bourbon barrels and uniquely finished in wine barrels from Dave's Napa Valley Cabernet Projects. They also have one called the Burning Chair Bourbon, which I recently talked about on the Adam Carolla show. Uh, That's aged a minimum of four years in new charred American oak, of course, because it's bourbon. Um, And that is delicious. And they have a rye as well called Lip Service Rye, aged three years in new charred American oak and uh, finished in uh, in barrels from France because Dave's doing some Grenache stuff over there in Maury, France, and he's finishing Lip Service Rye in those barrels. So it's all good stuff. If you want to learn more, go to savageandcook.com. The Instagram is Savage and Cook. So there you have it. That's getting my personal seal of approval. Oh, the other thing I did, I was so busy. I got I was really busy during the Thanksgiving holiday. I guess another thing that I did was I went through uh, some old stuff, old files, and I found a file, uh, an interview that I did. A couple of years ago with a guy named Ken Marino. Um, Ken was on MTV's The State. He has starred in such shows as Party Down, Marry Me, Burning Love, Children's Hospital. He's a writer. He wrote the screenplay for for Diggers and The Ten and Role Models with David Wayne. Uh, he wrote Wanderlust with Paul Rudd and Jennifer Aniston. You know Ken. And so I got to listening to this interview And it turns out that Ken Marino and I have something unusual in common in that we are both fascinated with shit, actual shit, excrement, feces, the smelly brown substance that's discharged out the butthole. So Ken and I talked about our love of shit, and in so doing, we hatched an idea for a movie that I really think has legs. In fact, after I listened to it, I, I made a note to try to get in touch with Ken, track him down, have my people reach out to his people and see if maybe we can get something going with this movie. But I don't know. I, maybe I should tell you, why don't you hear, you, you, tell, you listen in here and then you tell me what you think about this. I mean, I, I think it's got legs. Well, you know, I mean, I think we can, this is a universal issue. I think we can all relate to this. We all shit. Right? I do. I don't think yeah. there's anybody who doesn't shit. I can be honest with you, I, I shit shortly before I came in here. I appreciate the honesty, and I'll be honest with you, I shit several times before you came in. All right, okay. One was a good one. One, 
I started to think maybe I drank too much coffee today. Do you look at your shits to to to, to gauge how good they are? Not only do I look at my shit. When I was a kid, I would name my shit porcupine shit. Like if there was like corn, I mean uh, rice in it, it would be porcupine shit. Sure. Um, I would have different names for my shit, and I would count, go on and tell my parents what my the what the shit names were, and I would try to bring them into the room and to show them my shit. Yeah. When I grew up, my dad was a plumber, cesspool cleaner. We had a, se- a septic truck sure. in our yard, and I would go as a uh, 10-year-old boy, I would go to work with my dad, and we would clean people's cesspools, and he had uh, porta-potties that I would clean out. As I got older, my teens, I would clean out, we would rent the porta potties out, and then I would have to clean them out. So, shit has been a very significant part of my life. I would yeah. name my shit as a young boy, and then uh, this, the, the shit has been uh, a big part of my, my growing up. And to this day? To this day, if you look at anything that I've written, and a lot of the things that I've been involved in, there's usually somebody sitting on, uh, on, a, on a shitter. In Wanderlust, there's a guy who owns a porta potty company. Yeah. In 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 Wanderlust, there's a guy who's uh, Paul. Paul's taking a shit, and people walk in on him. Paul Rudd's taking a shit, and people walk in on him in this commune. Uh, in Digger is a movie I wrote. I'm a plumber, um, and the first scene I'm in, I'm on the shitter. Uh, in, um, in 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 the movie The Ten, we talk about shitting. In a, in, a, in a couple of scenes, shit is just a big part of your a life. A big part of my life. I'm gonna, so, gi- I'm gonna give you this. I'm gonna so, give you this. So, so go ahead. Guy, dog takes a shit. What if? What is this idea? Dog takes a shit. Right. The guy's filming it. The shit looks like Jesus. Right. You know how people see Jesus? Yeah, of the course. Yeah, like, yeah. The shit looks like Jesus. Yeah. I'm just saying. You can run with it. You run can with take it. This. This, you that's can a freebie. Take, you can have it. That's a freebie. Holy shit! You call the movie. Holy shit. Holy shit. Look at that. Holy shit. Why does it have to be a dog, then? I don't know, because if the dog shit, and you were just filming the dog shitting, and then the shit happened to look like Jesus, and maybe the guy realized, he goes, whoa, why can't it be? Like why can't it be the guy who, why, you oh, asked me, guy? do I have a oh, look at my own shit? You looked in the toilet, and you Why make it a dog shit? Wow. See, this is why you're the pro. How about a guy in a camping, so it's not in water, how about a guy on a camping trip, right? Yeah. And he shits in the woods, and he turns around to look at it, and he's like, it looks like Jesus. And now everybody comes out to this like place in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, to see it. To see his shit. And Build people it. go after him, though. Then the, 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 the people get mad because they think it's right. blasphemous mm-hmm. that this guy is saying that right. shit could look like yeah. Jesus. And then he starts getting death threats, and he's got to go underground. Shit it, and they will come. I like shit it. Shit it, and they will come. Yeah. This is how it happens right here. Third act could be pretty intense with the, uh, you know, all the religious folk coming and saying it's blasphemy. This is good. This is good. We'll talk about it after we finish recording. This is genius. Yeah. Shit. That's real shit right there. I mean, heavy shit. I'm talking movie shit. I feel like, I feel like we're going to get some, I feel, I feel like this can go somewhere. I think we're going to get some traction. If nothing else, it'd be great to go out and pitch that with Ken Marino. I think I'd love to get, sit in a room and, and pitch holy shit. So if anybody out there is a producer, uh, Hollywood produ- any Hollywood producers or anybody with a lot of money that would like to get into the producing game, would like to finance this movie with Ken and I, Ken, maybe Ken will star in it and I'll, uh, we'll co-write it. He'll star in it and I'll have a cameo. Holy shit is the name of the movie. So that happened. Um, what else happened? Oh, I mentioned to you earlier, uh, Will Forte. Will Forte dropped by. 
the house was sort of a little unexpected, actually. It really was. I know that sounds crazy, but, uh, you know, Will Forte was, of course, a cast member on Saturday Night Live, and he's the creator and star of uh, Last Man on Earth, for which he was nominated for three Emmy Awards for acting and writing. Um, I think any mention of Will Forte must include what I deem to be one of the best comedic characters ever created, MacGruber. MacGruber, he created MacGruber for Saturday Night Live, and they ended up making a little, uh, they made a movie about MacGruber. Uh, you want a little taste of MacGruber? Of course you do. I'll give you a taste. So this this is from one of the classic SNL ones. As always, Kristen Wiig played his sidekick. She's there. Uh, but in this in this one, MacGruber has to undergo racial sensitivity training after he tells racist jokes to a new sidekick that he has played really, really well by the great Charles Barkley. And here we go. MacGruber! Making life-saving inventions out of household materials. MacGruber! Getting in and out of ultra-sticky situations. MacGruber! He has a black employee now. MacGruber! MacGruber, this door is magnet locked. We're trapped. That's not our only problem, MacGruber. From the looks of that nitrogen bomb, we've only got 20 seconds. Don't worry, Vicky. Chill, Durrell. We'll have plenty of time to relax, time to chill, Durrell. Once we get out of here, once we scram, Durrell. It's pronounced Daryl. Oh, like a white Daryl. Ten seconds, MacGruber! Okay, uh, Vicky, hand me that Allen wrench. You got it, MacGruber! Okay, Durrell. Daryl! Funk me over that copper wire, out of sight. It's Daryl. Okay, Vicky, hand me that stir stick. On the way, MacGruber! Darrell. It's Daryl. Jazz me over that fly shoelace, you dig? Gruber, I don't know if this is working out. That reminds me of a good joke. What do you get when you cross a Mexican with a black... Magruber. Excuse me, a black African-American. Mo better? Yeah, mo better. Okay, so you cross a Mexican with a black African-American and a Jew and a woman, and what do you get? I don't know, but I sure don't want that person to move in next door to me. Yeah, that was him. That was Will Forte, MacGruber. You got to give it up for the man. And uh, you know what? Let's. Why don't we rock out to the little uh, interview that I did with Will Forte? Here it is. So I'm here with uh, a gentleman. I have spent hours, hours, days admiring his work, whether it be in the movies, whether it be on the TV. It's Will Forte. How are you, man? I'm doing very well, thank you. Thanks for uh, thanks for talking to me, brother. How of are course, you? Of course, I'm doing great. You're sipping on some whiskey right now. Yes. Bourbon's your thing. I'm yes, I like bourbon. I'm a bourbon person. Where Where are you from? I'm from Northern California, outside San Francisco, a place called Lafayette. And what did what stoked your interest, your love of bourbon? I don't know. I I I think a long time ago I I ventured into scotch, um, and I just I don't know. It it was a little. It, it done you wrong. I don't. Uh, I don't know. It just wasn't it wasn't for me. I I I tried it for a while. I think that I was I was young and impressionable, and I was like, oh, I think I. Uh, I don't know. I just thought I I I'm going to keep giving my giving scotch chances. And uh, and I I don't know it just wasn't for me I didn't like the the peatiness. 
it's an interesting thing how we come to whatever it is that we like to drink because yeah. I guess it kind of starts when you're young, right? And it's like, uh, I mean, I remember being a kid. I think it was more like vodka or something when I was young. And yeah. then at some point I realized, well, that doesn't really have a flavor to yeah. it, right? Yeah. You know, vodka. So it's like, all right, what am I going to try next? I think I liked rum. Do you like rum? Does anybody do rum anymore? I'll tell you what. Rum's it's, undersold, I think. Rum it is, gets it's a short... Interesting yeah. to me that, that it, 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 for me, a lot of that stuff is, is uh, geographical. Like, I have traveled to uh, uh, the Bahamas, and when I'm in the Bahamas, a, a rum punch seems like the only option, and it's great, and it's magical there then if i and you're on the beach though that's the thing it's it's experiential right like you're on the beach you're hanging out you're like you're not going to be like hey give me a cognac right you know you're going to want rum just has that flair to it right there yeah and if i'm at a ski lodge a hot toddy but i don't want a hot toddy at at you know in the Caribbean, no, you know no, they they kick you out for that, and it's very interesting because then I will go to Hawaii from time to time, and when I'm there, I don't have an interest in rum punch, which is weird because it seems like temperature wise to be basically the same as the Caribbean, but I just it just doesn't work for me there. That's the, the, then I've got my uh, pina colada desires on. <laughs> well, you live here in California, so uh, we have to. I don't know if people know this out there. By law, we have to drink vodka soda here in L.A. Yes. because they yes. weigh you. I don't know that people know this. When you travel in L.A. and you come back and you're a resident, they weigh you. Yeah. And if you've put on too much weight, they yes. let you back. In. Exactly. So vodka soda is what we go with. But the, vodka you, soda. Sometimes we put a little celery juice in there, <laughs> but. If we're feeling hardcore. Yes, yes. Um, So, man, SNL, obviously, you killed it on that. Uh, MacGruber. Is there is there a new MacGruber movie coming out of... Did I see this recently? Uh, there's. We are writing a uh, TV version of MacGruber, um, which we're excited about. It's it's uh, every bit as filthy as the movie. Um, so it's not for, for network TV. It's it's for a streaming site. Or we, we're still trying to figure all that Kristen out. Kristen Wiig involved in this one, too, or no? Wiig, uh, as of now, she's, yes. Wow. I mean, every everyone uh, is in, involved as of now, but, you know, the, it has not been officially greenlit. We are uh, working on the scripts, and then once but we finish the scripts. But it's going to happen. I mean, this is one of the funniest. Well, it's it's out of our hands. We're really excited about the stuff that we're writing. It's It's been really fun, and... and uh, um, yeah, it's we're, we're we just finished the second script, but we have the whole season charted out. It would be eight episodes, and we have two scripts completely completed. We have two rough drafts completed. Uh, so we have four scripts, two to still rewrite, and then we have two outlines. So we still just need to uh, write two more outlines which we know basically what they're going to be and to, to uh, uh, write up the outlines into scripts. I got to go. If I'm thinking about SNL sketches that then became film franchise movies or, or franchise in some cases, I got to go. MacGruber's got to be, it's right up there. Right. I appreciate that. I mean, we, we, uh, there are some 
pretty, mean, Wayne's World, Wayne's World, Wayne's World was World, obviously Blues a big Brothers. thing. Blues Brothers. But uh, MacGruber's top five for me, definitely top five. Uh, that, well, it's above nice the Hans and Franz movie, that's for sure. And the uh, Night at the Roxbury. Uh, were you in Night at the Roxbury? Were you in that? I wasn't. I wasn't. You weren't in it? Nope. Yeah. All right. I thought you might have been in that one. Um, <laughs> how's the bourbon, by the way? It's really good. By the way, this interview uh, with Will was not supposed to happen. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say this right now. I'm going to go on the record as saying, uh, I've been out today. I've had a couple of drinks. And then Will just showed up at my house, like randomly. He was like looking for gas. Or he ran out of gas. Yeah. And yeah. crazy. And I was like, all right, come on in. I got some gas. And it smelled like gas in here. So I like <laughs> just came in. And I was like, do you want some whiskey as well? And he's like, sure. Whiskey and gas. Which is what we do here. up with whiskey yeah. and then and there we turned go. on the um, mic. But look, man, I really appreciate you uh, <laughs> dropping by. <laughs> We'll have to do an official one. I only live I, I like wanna, five I wanna, minutes I want to have you. an official. Yes, yes. This was, a, this was an impromptu. Yeah. Impromptu. I've been watching football since 10 o'clock in the morning. Ooh, did today. you watch that uh, Patriots-Cowboys no, game? No, oh, they, okay. The Pats won, though, right? Yeah, it was yeah. a it was a ugly game because it was just pouring rain the whole yeah. time. It must have been super no, cold I'm rain, I'm too. an Eagles fan. I'm from Philly. Yeah. So, But you're, you're 49ers? Ra- Raiders fan. Raiders? Yeah. Did they win today? They got smoked by the Jets. Oh, I mean, wow. I think it was 34-3. to three. By the Jets? Yeah, by the Jets. How does that happen? I don't know. Aren't the Jets trying to lose? I I thought so. Yeah. Well, who knows? Football. Everybody cares, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Um, but we're no seriously. Let's do an official. Yeah, I would this, do that. This doesn't count. I'm saying that right now. This is not not official. This is not a count. This was not burn a, the data I, card. I'm, now I'm now I'm speaking in Italian. Not a count. Um, but uh, <laughs> we're gonna do one that is real. Okay. Well, I'll prepare. And, okay. Uh, and then you'll see. Yeah, I'm in. You'll see some genius then. Um, <laughs> Will Forte, everybody. Uh, wait, is the last man standing? Is that still going? Last. It's called the Last Man on Earth. You that jerk. Thing show. Yeah. And, no, uh, I love the show. Oh, I, last I, man. Or it. are you asking me about no, that I've Tim Allen it. show? I've last Kristen, man standing. Kristen Shaw and is on there. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love the show. No, we got canceled. What? A year ago, and. Uh, uh, yeah, so we've it, it, it's uh, I miss everybody that I used to work with, but but ultimately I think it was good for my own uh, sanity and. Does it get to be health. a grind? Does it get to be a grind? Doing it was that a, sort? A, just a, a ton of work, and and it was I, I'm I'm a little OCD, so it's I, I just would uh, not really have any breaks. I just mentally wouldn't ever let myself have breaks because there's just always something to do. You never have that feeling of like, oh, I can take five hours off here and and relax. Maybe I wasn't working for five hours every once in a while, but it would in in your head you're feeling this guilt that you and should do you, be. Do you when you're doing a show like that, obviously on network television, are you personally feeling? the pressure like how do i make this show succeed you know even though there's so many people involved in the show but you're the lead on the show do you do you feel that kind of a pressure with like oh it's gonna rise and fall oh, yeah. with me and i mean it's it well i mean it was i was one of the creators with with chris and phil and then i was one of the writers and i would edit too and and it was you know we had a wonderful writing staff and and wonderful editors, but then I would have to be there, you know, kind of leading up each of those departments. So you're, 
it's a crazy amount of work when you're the lead actor on a show, but to throw those other things in, it just becomes this impossible amount of work. And over, over time, it just really, really bogs you down. You know, you just, it's, it just really is each season was harder and harder to motivate yourself to get up for and, and do, um, you know, I, I don't want to sound ungrateful. Like the opportunity to get to to make your own show is is this amazing blessing that that uh, you know I, I'm very excited to get a chance to do that because a lot you know that's your dream is to be able to be in in a situation where you are controlling the creative content but it's, As it's not without when you, its negative when you were on snl was snl your first big break on television oh yeah. Yeah, yeah so when you got on snl it's more of a hustle right like it's like oh am i gonna get in this am i gonna be in this one am i gonna write something that's gonna get on am i gonna you yeah know? it wasn't it's not your thing it's it's right. lauren's thing it's the writer's thing it's who was the head writer when you were there at the time uh was that there were, there were, we were i was there for eight years so tina uh Dennis McNicholas, uh, a- Andrew Steele then uh, took over with, uh, uh, you know, Tina was there for a while while I was there. And then she took off and started doing 30 Rock. It was a, a whole group of different people, all very wonderful old friends. Seth Myers took Seth over. Seth Myers, yeah. And did you, there. when you're on SNL, do you, is there a pressure there that because like there's, there's so little real estate, right? Like it's every show you get, there's yeah. so many sketches and it's like, well, it's gonna... totally out of your control. You know, you, you write the best stuff you can and then you put it up at the table read and it's, you know, it's, you just never know how you can get a lot of laughs at a table read and then somehow your sketch doesn't get picked for one reason or another. So it's, it's, and you just will never know why that is um, because you're not in that room of deciders. Yeah. Um, So, so it's, you know, it's really nice then to, to have that last man on earth experience where you get to be the person making those choices and you're in that room of And how many seasons did you making, get of that one? Um, four. Jesus. Four seasons. That's amazing. Oh yeah, it's fantastic. And I you could I, like you know, I hate to complain about the amount of work it is cuz I, I Oh yeah. Right? Yeah. You could get a yeah. Toyota Corolla Four Runner. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No, go top of the line, Four Runner. Something well, look at that. So you no, got it's that. A, it's it's awesome and exciting, uh, but it uh, but it also now uh, this MacGruber experience. Um, you know, you learn all the lessons um, from Last Man on Earth and stuff like that, and you you try to uh, just approach it a little differently. It's it's also just a totally different situation because if we are able to eventually make this. At Last Man on Earth, you're you're writing throughout the the season as you're you can only write so many episodes before you have to start, and then you're trying to write while you're also acting, and also because of the air dates, you have to also be editing throughout. Well, here we'll basically be done writing before we would get to shoot, and then we'll probably shoot and maybe edit a little bit uh, while we're acting, but but for the most part you can do the post stuff after you're shooting so you you're not going crazy pulling triple duty at the same time well i know it's going to happen mcgruber is 
just it's too funny it's too funny to not happen so i'm very excited well, I, about that fingers crossed fingers crossed yeah. uh, will forte thank you for joining me man thank you for having me. appreciate it uh and uh well, let's go have some more bourbon okay Thank you, Metallica. <clears throat> I needed that little transition there. So that was Will Forte. What a guy. Really nice dude. Uh, and hopefully that is going to happen. The um, the series of uh, MacGruber. So uh, we're going to wind it down here. I'm going to tell you quickly about some new products. I know the holidays are coming up and you're probably looking to get some stuff, either for gifts or for some parties, whatnot. A couple of things to tell you about. Uh, I just got, there's a, a distillery called Tattersall Distilling. It's a craft distillery from Minnesota. Been around for about four years. I wasn't overly familiar with them, but they sent me uh, this their latest product, which is a bottled old-fashioned. Uh, it's a 750-milliliter bottle. Uh, it is, their, I guess, the first one they've done. It's a, It features their rye whiskey. There's a sour cherry liqueur, aromatic bitters, and a dash of orange zest and sugar. Yeah, it's an old-fashioned in a bottle. I, I'm wary a lot of times about, uh, you know, bottled stuff because it can a lot of times it tends to be too sweet. This one's really well-balanced, I got to tell you. Uh, it's 35 bucks for the bottle. You get that, and then all you need is a glass and some ice, and boom, it's party time. It's 70 proof. Again, that's Tattersall, T-A-T-T-E-R-S-A-L-L distilling. Tattersalldistilling.com. That is a product... I'm endorsing uh, wine. Of course, everybody wants wine for the holidays. And I am a big fan of this uh, wine called Clos Triguadine. Clos Triguadine. Uh, it's, uh, it's actually a, um, from France. And it's an old family uh, winery that's been around for a long time. Uh, they, I think they planted their first vines there back in 1830, the family. Um, and these wines that I've just tried there, these are, uh, Malbec based wines. And I've, there's a couple of them. Uh, they got one called Malbec Duclos 2015. Um, it's a very easy drinking young, it's meant to be drunk young, so you can drink it right now. Um, I think it's a good entry wine into this into the uh, the range from Clo uh, Triguadina. So, you know, it's, it's C-L-O-S, and then, because my pronunciation sucks, and then T-R-I-G-U-E-D-I-N-A. That's what I'm saying. I know I'm fucking it up, but that's what I'm saying. Whatever that word is, that's what I'm saying. Uh, the Malbec Duclo 2015 is only 18 bucks a bottle. I think it's a steal at that price. I would recommend it if you want to move up a little bit uh, more uh, more classic Malbec type of uh, taste. They've got one uh, just Clos Triguadina 2011, um, and that one is about thirty four bucks a bottle. And then if you really want to celebrate, they've got one called the New Black Wine 2012. The name originates from the Middle Ages, when the wine growers of this lot produced Vin Noir or black wine by heating part of the grapes. And this medieval process 
uh, has been revived by triguadina. And there, uh, they use a prune oven to gently heat the must. And again, this is not brown wine making process hasn't been used for centuries, and it really creates this opulent uh, wine that has a lot of dried fruit aromas to it, and it's got a lot of complexity. And there's just a lot of it's kind of an astonishing variety of flavors to it. Okay, and that is the Triguadina, the new black wine, 2012. It is 112 dollars a bottle. So you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to bust out the credit card, I guess, for it, but it's worth it. Uh, so I'd recommend those. Um, again, I know I'm, I'm probably screwing up the name, but it's C-L-O-S-T-R-I-G-U-E-D-I-N-A. And that is a wine that I'm recommending to you. Also, uh, what else we got? Oh, you know, a buddy of mine, Joey, uh, is a manager over at Scopa in Venice. He's an awesome dude. And he and his wife, Lisa, created a hot sauce. It's called Joey's Hot Sauce. How about that? Um, and I've, he gave me a bottle of this stuff, and I just love it. I mean, if you love hot sauce, this is really great. And and he's created a uh, – uh, he's crowdsourcing, trying to raise some money. So he's got an Indiegogo page. So if you Google Indiegogo Joey's Hot Sauce – uh, you can, you can don't, you can not donate. You can pay some money. I don't know how the shit works. You pay some money and then you're going to get a bottle of the, the, the hot sauce. And I'm going to tell you right now, I think for 35 bucks, you get a signed bottle and the sticker and, uh, it's just, it's good stuff, man. Um, comedian Brian Callen is on the website. Everybody knows Brian Callen. He's the best. He's a big fan of Joey's hot sauce. So again, go check it out at Indiegogo. That's Joey. And, uh, you know, I, I like giving shout out to good people and Joey's good people. Um, is there anything else that needs to be addressed here? I don't know. I don't know. I want to thank Will Forte for joining me on the show. Ken Marino for that old interview that we did and for the movie that we're going to look for it in theaters near you. Holy shit, it will be coming. Uh, you can follow me at the Imbiber, T H E I M B I B E R. Um, what else? I'm go do some writing now. After I get done doing this, I got to do some writing. Which I guess I'll leave you with that one thought. Remember, write drunk, edit sober. <laughs>